Chapter 34 of Aurora Floyd. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlock of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. Aurora Floyd by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter 34 Discovery of the Weapon with Which James Conyers Had Been Slain Mr. and Mrs. Mellish returned to the house in which they had been so happy, but it is not to be supposed that the pleasant country mansion could be again, all in a moment, the home that it had been before the advent of James Conyers the trainer, and the tragedy that had so abruptly concluded his brief service. No! Every pang that Aurora had felt, every agony that John had endured, had left a certain impress upon the scene in which it had been suffered. The subtle influences of association hung heavily about the familiar place, we are the slaves of such associations, and we are powerless to stand against their silent force. Scraps of color and patches of gilding upon the walls will bear upon them, as plainly as if they were covered with hieroglyphical inscriptions, the shadows of the thoughts of those who have looked upon them. Transient and chance effects of light or shade will recall the same effects, seen and observed as fagin observed the broken spike upon the guarded dock in some horrible crisis of misery and despair the commonest household goods and chattels will bear mute witness of your agonies an easy chair will say to you it was upon me you cast yourself in that paroxysm of rage and grief the pattern of a dinner service may recall to you that fatal day on which you pushed your food untasted from you and turned your face like grief-stricken king david to the wall the bed you lay upon the curtains that shelter you the pattern of the paper on the walls the common everyday sounds of the household coming muffled and far away to that lonely room in which you hid yourself all these bear record of your sorrow and of that hideous double action of the mind which impresses these things most vividly upon you at the very time when it would seem they should be most indifferent but every sorrow every pang of wounded love or doubt or jealousy or despair is a fact a fact once and a fact forever to be outlived but very rarely to be forgotten, leaving such an impress upon our lives as no future joys can quite wear out. The murder has been done, and the hands are red. The sorrow has been suffered, and, however beautiful happiness may be to us, she can never be the bright virginal creature she once was, for she has passed through the valley of the shadow of death, and we have discovered that she is not immortal. 
It is not to be expected, then, that John Mellish and his wife Aurora could feel quite the same in the pretty chambers of the Yorkshire mansion, as they had felt before the first shipwreck of their happiness. They had been saved from peril and destruction, and landed, by the mercy of Providence, high and dry upon a shore that seemed to promise them pleasure and security henceforth. But the memory of the tempest was yet new to them, and upon the sands that were so smooth today they had seen yesterday the breakers beating with furious menace and hurrying onward to destroy them. The funeral of the trainer had not yet taken place, and it was scarcely a pleasant thing for Mr. Mellish to remember that the body of the murdered man still lay, stark and awful, in the oak coffin that stood upon trestles in the rustic chamber at the North Lodge. "'I'll pull that place down, Lolly,' said John, as he turned away from the open window, through which he could see the Gothic chimneys of the trainer's late habitation glimmering redly above the trees. "'I'll pull the place down, my pet,' The gates are never used except by the stable boys. I'll knock them down, and the lodge too, and build some loose boxes for the brood mares with the materials. And we'll go away to the south of France, darling, and run across to Italy, if you like, and forget all about this horrid business. The funeral will take place tomorrow, John, will it not? Aurora asked. Tomorrow, dear. "'Tomorrow is Wednesday. You know, it was upon Thursday night that—' "'Yes, yes,' she answered, interrupting him. "'I know. I remember.' She shuddered as she spoke, remembering the ghastly circumstances of the night to which he alluded, remembering how the dead man had stood before her, strong in health and vitality, and had insolently defied her hatred. Away from Mellish Park, she had only remembered that the burden of her life had been removed from her, and that she was free. But here, here upon the scene of the hideous story, she recollected the manner of her release, and that memory oppressed her even more terribly than her old secret, her only sorrow. She had never seen or known in this man who had been murdered one redeeming quality, one generous thought. She had known him as a liar, a schemer, a low and paltry swindler, a selfish spendthrift, extravagant to wantonness upon himself, but meaner than words could tell towards others, a profligate, a traitor, a glutton, a drunkard. This is what she had found behind her schoolgirl's fancy for a handsome face, for the violet-tinted eyes and soft brown curling hair. Do not call her hard, then. If sorrow had no part in the shuddering horror, she felt as she conjured up the image of him in his death hour, and saw the glazing eyes turned angrily upon her, she was little more than twenty, and it had been her fate always to take the wrong step, 
always to be misled by the vague finger posts upon life's high road and to choose the longest and crookedest and hardest way toward the goal she sought to reach had she upon the discovery of the first husband's infidelity called the law to her aid she was rich enough to command its utmost help though sir cresswell cresswell did not keep the turnpike upon such a royal road to divorce as he does now she might have freed herself from the hateful chains so foolishly linked together and might have defied this dead man to torment or assail her but she had chosen to follow the counsel of expediency and it had led her upon the crooked way through which i have striven to follow her i feel that there is much need of apology for her her own hands had sown the dragon's teeth from whose evil seed had sprung up armed men strong enough to rend and devour her but then if she had been faultless she could not have been the heroine of this story for i think some wise man of old remarked that the perfect women were those who left no histories behind them but went through life upon such a tranquil course of quiet well-doing as left no footprints on the sands of time only mute records hidden here and there deep in the grateful hearts of those who had been blessed by them the presence of the dead man within the boundary of mellish park made itself felt throughout the household that had once been such a jovial one the excitement of the catastrophe had passed away and only the dull gloom remained a sense of oppression not to be cast aside it was felt in the servants hall as well as in aurora's luxurious apartments it was felt by the butler as well as by the master no worse deed of violence than the slaughter of an unhappy stag who had rushed for a last refuge to the mellish flower garden and had been run down by furious hounds upon the velvet lawn had ever before been done within the boundary of the young squire's home the house was an old one and had stood gray and ivy shrouded through the perilous days of civil war there were secret passages in which loyal squires of mellish had hidden from ferocious roundheads bent upon riot and plunder there were broad hearthstones upon which sturdy blows had been given and exchanged by strong men in leathern jerkins and clumsy iron-heeled boots but the royalist mellish had always ultimately escaped up a chimney or down a cellar or behind a curtain of tapestry and the wicked praise the lord thompsons and smiter of the philistine joneses had departed after plundering the plate chest and emptying the wine barrels there had never before been set upon the place in which john mellish had first seen the light the red hand of murder it was not strange then that the servants sat long over their meals and talked in solemn whispers of the events of the past week there was more than the murder to talk about there was the flight of mrs mellish from beneath her husband's roof upon the very day of the inquest 
it was all very well for john to give out that his wife had gone up to town upon a visit to her cousin mrs bulstrode such ladies as mrs mellish do not go upon visits without escort without a word of notice without the poorest pretense of bag and baggage no the mistress of mellish park had fled away from her home under the influence of some sudden panic had not mrs powell said as much or hinted as much for when did the ladylike creature ever vulgarize her opinions by stating them plainly the matter was obvious mr mellish had taken no doubt the wisest course he had pursued his wife and brought her back and had done his best to hush up the matter but aurora's departure had been a flight a sudden and unpremeditated flight the lady's maid ah how many handsome dresses given to her by a generous mistress lay neatly folded in the girl's boxes on the second story told how aurora had come to her room pale and wild-looking and had dressed herself unassisted for that hurried journey upon the day of the inquest the girl liked her mistress loved her perhaps for aurora had a wondrous and almost dangerous faculty for winning the love of those who came near her but it was so pleasant to have something to say about this all-absorbing topic and to be able to make oneself a feature in the solemn conclave at first they had talked only of the murdered man speculating upon his life and history and building up a dozen theoretical views of the murder but the tide had turned now and they talked of their mistress not connecting her in any positive or openly expressed manner with the murder but commenting upon the strangeness of her conduct and dwelling much upon those singular coincidences by which she had happened to be roaming in the dark upon the night of the catastrophe and to run away from her home upon the day of the inquest it was odd you know the cook said and them black-eyed women are generally regular spirity ones i shouldn't like to offend master john's wife do you remember how she laid into the softy but there was not of sort between her and the trainer was there asked someone i don't know about that but softy said she hated him like poison and that there was no love lost between em but why should aurora have hated the dead man the ensign's widow had left the sting of her venom behind her and had suggested to these servants by hints and innuendos something so far more base and hideous than the truth that i will not sully these pages by recording it but mrs powell had of course done this foul thing without the utterance of one ugly word that could have told against her gentility had it been repeated aloud in a crowded drawing-room she had only shrugged her shoulders and lifted her straw-colored eyebrows and sighed half regretfully half deprecatingly but she had blasted the character of the woman she hated as shamefully as if she had uttered a libel too gross for holywell street 
she had done a wrong that could only be undone by the exhibition of the blood-stained certificate in john's keeping and the revelation of the whole story connected with the fatal scrap of paper she had done this before packing her boxes and she had gone away from the house that had sheltered her well pleased at having done this wrong and comforting herself yet farther by the intention of doing more mischief through the medium of the penny post it is not to be supposed that the manchester paper which had caused so serious a discussion in the humble parlor of the crooked rabbit had been overlooked in the servants hall at mellish the manchester journals were regularly forwarded to the young squire from the metropolis of cotton spinning and horse racing and the mysterious letter in the guardian had been read and commented upon every creature in that household from the fat housekeeper who had kept the keys of the storeroom through nearly three generations to the rheumatic trainer langley had a certain interest in the awful question a nervous footman turned pale as that passage was read which declared that the murder had been committed by some member of the household but i think there were some younger and more adventurous spirits especially a pretty housemaid who had seen the thrilling drama of susan hopley performed at the doncaster theatre during the spring meeting who would have rather liked to be accused of the crime and to emerge spotless and triumphant from the judicial ordeal through the evidence of an idiot or a magpie or a ghost or some other witness common and popular in criminal courts did aurora know anything of all this no she only knew that a dull and heavy sense of oppression in her own breast made the very summer atmosphere floating in at the open windows seem stifling and poisonous that the house which had once been so dear to her was as painfully and perpetually haunted by the ghastly presence of the murdered man as if the dead trainer had stalked palpably about the corridors wrapped in a blood-stained winding-sheet she dined with her husband alone in the great dining-room many people had called during the two days that mr and mrs mellish had been absent among others the rector mr lofthouse and the coroner mr hayward lofthouse and hayward will guess why we went away john thought as he tossed the cards over in the basket they will guess that i have taken the proper steps to make my marriage legal and to make my darling quite my own they were very silent at dinner for the presence of the servants sealed their lips upon the topic that was uppermost in their minds john looked anxiously at his wife every now and then for he saw that her face had grown paler since her arrival at mellish but he waited until they were alone before he spoke my darling he said as the door closed behind the butler and his subordinate i am sure you are ill this business has been too much for you it is the air of this house that seems to oppress me john answered aurora i had forgotten all about this dreadful business while i was away now that i come back and find that the time which has been so long to me so long in misery and anxiety and so long in joy 
my own dear love through you is in reality only a few days and that the murdered man still lies near us i i shall be better when when the funeral is over john my poor darling i was a fool to bring you back i should never have done so but for talbot's advice he urged me so strongly to come back directly he said that if there should be any disturbance about the murder we ought to be upon the spot disturbance what disturbance cried aurora her face blanched as she spoke and her heart sank within her what further disturbance could there be was the ghastly business as yet unfinished then she knew alas only too well that there could be no investigation of this matter which would not bring her name before the world linked with the name of the dead man how much she had endured in order to keep that shameful secret from the world how much she had sacrificed in the hope of saving her father from humiliation and now at the last when she had thought that the dark chapter of her life was finished the hateful page blotted out now at the very last there was a probability of some new disturbance which would bring her name and her history into every newspaper in england oh john john she cried bursting into a passion of hysterical sobs and covering her face with her clasped hands am i never to hear the last of this am i never 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 to be released from the consequences of my miserable folly the butler entered the room as she said this she rose hurriedly and walked to one of the windows in order to conceal her face from the man i beg your pardon sir the old servant said but they found something in the park and i thought perhaps you might like to know they found something what exclaimed john utterly bewildered between his agitation at the sight of his wife's grief and his endeavor to understand the man a pistol sir one of the stable lads found it just now he went to the wood with another boy to look at the place where the the, the man was shot and he brought back a pistol he found there it was close against the water but hid away among the weeds and rushes whoever threw it there thought no doubt to throw it in the pond but jim that's one of the boys fancied he saw something glitter and sure enough it was the band of a pistol and i think it must be the one that the trainer was shot with mr john a pistol cried mr mellish let me see it his servant handed him the weapon it was small enough for a toy but none the less deadly in a skilful hand it was a rich man's fancy deftly carried out by some cunning gunsmith and enriched by elaborate inlaid work of purple steel and tarnished silver it was rusty from exposure to rain and dew but mr mellish knew the pistol well for it was his own it was his own one of his pet playthings and it had been kept in the room which was only entered by privileged persons the room in which his wife had busied herself upon the day of the murder with the rearrangement of his guns end of chapter thirty four 
discovery of the weapon with which james conyers had been slain